The Canucks are in San Jose preparing to play the Sharks tonight. Canucks Hour here on your home of the Vancouver Canucks Sportsnet 650. I'm Jamie Dodd. My, my co-host is Canucks insider Thomas Dranch. You can read Drancer's work covering the Canucks at The Athletic as well. Canucks Hour is brought to you by Avenue Machinery. Being a champion takes foresight. Build your company to win for years to come with fuel-efficient and reliable Kubota skid steers, excavators, and loaders from Avenue Machinery. Visit avenuemachinery.ca. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. The smart alternative, visit Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street in Ladner or Arbutus in Vancouver online at dunbarlumber.com. If you've got thoughts, questions about the game tonight, anything going on with the Canucks right now, hit us up. 650-650. And Drancer, I mean... I want to talk about the game. We'll we'll talk about some of the COVID stuff a little bit later, but I'll admit there were long stretches yesterday where I was sitting around trying to game plan what you and I were going to talk about if the Canucks had a bunch of games postponed. So I am just very, very, very happy that as of right now, and as we know, things can always change and there's always those caveats, but as of right now, the Canucks are scheduled to play tonight. And I, for one, am thrilled about that fact. I am thrilled as well, and I am I am thrilled as well in my in my best <laughs> Ben Stein voice, just living up to my reputation as uh, Vancouver's local curmudgeonly hockey reporter. Like, yes, it's very exciting that the Canucks are playing tonight. Um, no, seriously though, I'm I'm thrilled more so. Like, yes, good game tonight. Always fun to watch hockey. Yep. Um, I'm mostly thrilled that there were no additional player positives. Yes. You know. By the time you catch Pullman, right, he's spent 30 minutes in an unmasked, on-ice athletic situation with his teammates, you know? And we we saw how... Well, he's been in the locker room with them and sure, all but of it's, that, right? But it's the ice that yeah. is particularly dangerous. And, and you know, we saw that with the Gaudette practice. Like, Gaudette was only on that practice, that first practice that took the whole team down with Gamma last year for 10, 15 minutes before he got pulled. And... You know, the the thing about ice, like the ice sheet plus the shape of it plus the boards, they essentially cause air particles to be suspended. Like, have you ever seen a smoke machine on the ice? Yes. You know how it hovers about six and a half feet up in the air or exactly mouth and right. nose breathing height? So you're basically skating around in other people's breath. It's like It's like, honestly, the highest risk scenario you can be in. Tucker Pullman was in that situation for half an hour with two teams. The fact that there are no additional positives from Vancouver and the fact that we've heard of no additional positives from the Columbus uh, side either to this point, that to me is a huge, like, exhale, breathe, fantastic. And now the Canucks will take the ice at the SAP Center in half an hour to do a morning skate, and then they'll compete against a divisional opponent that they're hunting down That's right. in the standings. They're trying to track them down in the wild card standings. We should also note, as you mentioned, no uh, positive tests on the Columbus side. And I believe Carolina, who, of course, the Canucks played on Sunday, had some COVID issues of their own. I think they've now registered two consecutive days with no new positive tests. Phew. So some good news. There are other bad news spots around the NHL when it comes to COVID, but at least as the Canucks, as the Hurricanes, as the Blue Jackets are concerned, some good news on the COVID front as well. Now, before we get into the nitty-gritty of the San Jose Sharks game, there is a an immediate roster decision to be made for the Canucks because right now, from a combination of COVID-19 and injuries and of course, in COVID, it's Luke Shen, Brad Hunt, Tucker Pullman on the blue line, Yuho Lamico at forward, Travis Hamannick is on LTIR. That means the Canucks only have 20. five defensemen available. 20 people on the roster. Right yeah. Yeah. 
So they're shorthanded. Now, they do luckily, have the flexibility to call somebody up, and the AHL team is in California right played now. Played in San Diego last night. So we'll see. I'd sort of, you know, I, I'm always careful to careful about stuff. I'm always careful about stuff. So I, I'd heard earlier in the day, like, I am expecting it to be a left-handed guy. I don't think it's going to be as we suggested on the show yesterday. Like, I don't think it's going to be Madison Bowie with a bullet necessarily. One would expect that the Canucks will make an announcement in the next half hour. But as of 9 a.m., uh, they hadn't made, which was when I checked, they hadn't made uh, a call up yet. But but presumably one will like and I mean, on paper, right? Like they hadn't officially called anyone up as of 9 a.m. Presumably they will call one of the guys who were in San Diego yesterday up uh, in time for morning skate or certainly in time for the game. I, I, I would not expect the Canucks to play 13 forwards 5D. No, and not when you have the flexibility and you have guys available to you to call up. Now, we had a, some questions on the show yesterday. We touched on it very briefly, but people asking, why wouldn't it be Jack Rathbone? He's banged up. So, yes, he yeah. would be the very obvious candidate Jet Wu as in well. this situation. Jet Wu would probably be a little further down the call-up list, but another guy in the AHL. But those are the guys injured. the fans want to see. Yes. yes so, I'm mean, just, just uh, you know... Whoever gets called up, you're not going to be, it's not going to be like, I'm excited to no. watch that prospect. It's going to be one of their uh, depth guys in the uh, in the American League. Um, you know, I, I think it's most likely to be Brisewa, but again, I don't have that confirmed and I want to be very clear about that. So, yeah, the candidates to me would seem to be Madison Bowie or Guillaume Brisewa, but as you say, we will see. They're going to hit the ice in San Jose in just over 20 minutes' time, so I expect we will have an answer relatively shortly about exactly which defenseman they're going to call up to join the team tonight. All right, as you said, this is a, a big game all of a sudden, or at least you can talk yourself into it being a big game. Oh, and Vancouver has recalled oh. Guillaume Brisebois. There we go, confirmation. So it is Guillaume Brisebois, a favorite from the Jim Benning era, who will, who will join the team as the sixth defenseman tonight in San Jose. You're going to yell his last name into the mic? Breezeba! Breezeba, let's go. There you go. So, yes, not not someone the Canucks fans are going to be super excited to see in the lineup, but, hey, th this is – I expect this is going to be a theme around the NHL for the foreseeable future. You got to do what you got to do. You got to work with what you have, and that's going to be the task again for the Canucks in particular on the blue line against San Jose. Well, yeah. So to sustain their form, their Bruce Boudreaux form, right? They need Tyler Myers to continue to be what Tyler Myers has been, right? They need Quinn Hughes to stay scintillating. That one I buy. That one I believe can happen. Uh, Oliver ekman Larson, I thought was steady, but we're in a situation where Kyle Burroughs is in their top four, right? I, I mean, he'll play top four yep. minutes regardless of how they do it, you know? And, and I won't be stunned necessarily if they put you know, Myers with Brisebois, Hughes with Juleson, and OEL with Burroughs, right? Like, for example, just so that you at least have, you know, a guy you really trust, like, uh, you know, on each pair. I won't be surprised if they scramble it that way, but clearly Burroughs will end up playing top four minutes at five on five over the course of the game. So they're going to need that to hold, and then they're going to need to just get just get enough in, in 12 to 15 minutes from Brisebois and Juleson. Juleson. Yeah. If they're going to, um, you know, keep this streak going against a Sharks team that luckily, thankfully for Vancouver, kind of is a one-line team. Yes. Kind of a one-line team, kind of like the Bruins. So, you know, at least there's a matchup in their favor there. You know, contain Hurdle, contain Meyer, contain Jonathan Dolan, the one that got away, a single tear drips down my face. Um, you know, contain that line and you should be 
in a good spot against the Sharks. That is, of course, the the questions on the blue line and specifically whether the kind of big three of the Canucks blue line, right, in Quinn Hughes, Oliver ekman Larson, and Tyler Myers, Tyler Myers, whether they can sustain their excellent recent play. That's one of the major questions going into this tonight ga- tonight's game. And as you said, kind of an advantageous matchup. Look, you never want to be in a situation where you only really have three defensemen that you trust out there. And, and Kyle Burrows has been good in his role for the Canucks this year. But still, you know, as you say, he's going to play top four minutes. But the gap between his minutes and the number three guy could easily be 10 minutes, right? There's going to be a significant spread between the top three and the bottom three on the Canucks blue line tonight. As you mentioned, you know, it's the top of the roster for San Jose, right? With Couture, Meyer, and Jonathan Dolan. You have Tomas Hurdle, who's obviously a very dangerous offensive player on the second line. But outside of that, farther down the lineup, there's not a lot that really scares you on this Sharks team. So, again, never a good time to be as shorthanded or as kind of patchwork on the blue line as the Canucks are right now. But even just beyond looking at it kind of on paper and how the roster shakes up for the Sharks, when you start to dig into the underlying numbers for San Jose, they actually have a very similar statistical profile at 5-on-5 to the Canucks, which is to say, you know, both teams below average at controlling shots, at controlling play at 5-on-5. And... For for a long time this season, we've talked about the Canucks' struggles to generate legitimate scoring chances and generate expected goals at 5-on-5. San Jose has struggled even more in that regard. They're actually a bottom-five team in expected goals for at 5-on-5. So again, kind of a decent matchup for the Canucks in that perspective if you can continue to get those really strong performances from Quinn Hughes, from Tyler Myers, from Oliver ekman Larson, You know, this is a, a game where even a team like the Canucks that sometimes struggles to drive play, you can look at it and say, hey, we might be able to do that for a change in this game. Yeah, one when <laughs> if you're playing a team that struggles to generate scoring chances and you have Thatcher Demko, that is a good spot to be in, typically speaking. I'm also curious, just a uh, an odd thing, like a super nerdy thing that I'm curious to watch for tonight is that this is going to be Boudreaux's first road game. And we've seen, in Vancouver anyway, that he did a lot of one, two, three, four. Like, he did a lot of just rolling lines. He played the fourth line a fair bit. He wasn't necessarily as disciplined in terms of playing matchups down lineup um, as Travis Green t- typically was. And so how does that impact his approach on the road. And he's discussed this a little bit. He said, you know, sometimes you can um, catch a coach who's being too disciplined with their matchup game and, um, you know, tweak things like play things um, in your favor as the road coach. Uh, Bob Bugner, the Sharks coach, tends to be pretty matchup conscious. I would expect that he will pick one of Vancouver's forward groups and that he thinks he can exploit with the hurdle line and, and try and get them out there against them. So, you know, I'm, I'm curious to see exactly how that chess match plays out between one coach who I think is really obsessive about looking for his matchup versus Boudreaux, a coach who's, to this point in his Canucks tenure anyway, consistent with how he's coached in Anaheim and Minnesota and in Washington, you know, tends to be a guy who focuses more on just letting his team play the game yeah. as opposed to, you know, uh, trying to load the dice, as it were, every role. And I wonder... Because as you said, you look at San Jose and looks like kind of a one-line team. So I don't know if this is going to be the best opportunity for us to really get a sense of how Boudreaux wants to do that matchup role. Because, you know, if you get your your defensive pairs that you want out there against Couture and Meyer and Dolan, 
And then you look at the Canucks, you know, the way they've been running under Boudreaux, it's very much they have three lines that you feel pretty good about putting out there, right? And I'm not sure Boudreaux is going to be too concerned about which of his top three lines is out there against the Sharks' top line. Then after that, you know, again, are, are you really going to be too concerned about who's out there uh, with the Thomas Hurdle line? Probably not. And then it's you're into the bottom six, which again, hey, we'll take the matchups as they come. So it, I think it's something interesting to watch, but... This is also not a Sharks team where you look at it and say, oh man, you have to be really, really detailed with your matchups or else you're going to get burned out there. The other thing that stands out to me about the Sharks so far this season, just digging into some of the numbers, is James Reimer has been really, really good for for them. Like, exceptionally good for them in net. And that's not something that I think a lot of people would have predicted coming into the season. But you just look at how the Sharks have kind of you know, managed to, surprise might be a little bit strong of a word. They got off to that 4-0 start. They've been a little bit mediocre since then, but just kind of the shape of their season and their performance, as I said, kind of mediocre controlling play, much like the Canucks, but they've got very good goaltending from James Reimer. And then the other place I'm watching, this is something we touched on yesterday, Drancer, is the special teams battle in this game because the Sharks, their power play, 17th in the league, just under 20%, 19%. But the penalty kill has been exceptional. Yeah. Third in the league. And so they look to have the edge on the penalty kill. And as you and I talked about on the show yesterday, if the Canucks are going to continue this kind of improbable run at the playoffs, continue to bend their projected points totals upwards, they have to start consistently winning the penalty or winning the special teams battle. And again, this is a matchup where you look at it, if they are able to win the special teams battle, they should be heavy favorites in this game because San Jose is not a daunting 5-on-5 team. No, they're not. But, you know, neither is Vancouver. Nope. Typically speaking, even in the Bruce Boudreaux era where they've generated more, right, they have been outchanced. Um, I think they've had the better quality of chances overall. But, you know, I mean, it's it's going to be an interesting one for sure. And the fact that, you know, the fact that the Sharks have a really good PK um, you know, makes it difficult because I don't know that we know exactly what Vancouver's PK is now in the Scott Walker era yet, right? I mean, to this point, they've been lights out. They've been really good. And more importantly, they've continued to be very disciplined and taken very few penalties. Uh, all of that is good stuff. That's like the good stuff that, you know, can help this team win. But, you know, we haven't seen, we don't know really what Vancouver's PK level is. Yeah. Especially because the first three games, we saw them catch teams unaware. They hadn't, coaches typically pre-scouted teams previous three games. Until you play three games with a new system, teams aren't going to know what to expect. They've still only played 18 minutes at four on five. Like, there's not a lot of tendencies for coaches to have broken down. But we did see with Carolina that, you know, the Hurricanes thought they could generate against the rush. For sure. The Hurricanes didn't even bother setting up. It was unlike any power play I've seen play out this year. So does does San Jose do something similar? Do they try something similar? Um, you know, that's one thing that I'll, that I'll be watching for. I, wa- I want to come back to James Reimer because we're talking about James Reimer having a surprisingly good season. Yeah. And he's been outrageous, like 9-3-6. Yeah. Really good. Here's the thing about goaltending that's always, like, I have really very strange goaltending takes. But for me, like, unless your last name is Alaire or... Clark yeah right I'm always dubious of people being like but he looks so good because the difference between an elite starter in the NHL and a guy who's basically out of the league is like an additional nine saves over a thousand shots like it's not a huge 
It's not a huge gap. Which from, is really hard to pick up when you're watching, right? It, it's hard it's to, too subtle for yeah. the eye. It's too yeah. subtle for the eye. But now, do I believe that, uh, you know, Melanson and Clark and Allaire, like, do I believe that there's a short list of human beings who understand the position at a totally different level? Uh, Woodley? <laughs> that can pick it out? Sure. But Reimer, for example, is a guy who fails the eye test, right? Like, Reimer is a guy who fails the eye test. He is a blocking goalie in, like, the classic J.S. Jaguar um, sort of meaning of the word. And yet, over 401 starts in the NHL, he's been a 914 goaltender. 914, that's that's, that's, a, that's above average. Yep. That's above average for a starter in this era. And to put it in to, into context, Canucks fans hear the word James Reimer, and they're like, well, you got to beat Reimer. Right. You know? Thatcher Demko's career save percentage, 912. Like, not as good as James Reimer's, right? So, uh, again, when I... <laughs> This is one of those reasons why when people have really hot goaltending takes, I'm always like, eh, maybe, maybe, maybe you know what you're talking about, but probably not. And uh, and that's also, I think, why it's so important that this organization has Clark. I, I do think that's a big built-in advantage to, to have someone like that to rely on. A tremendous advantage for, yep. the, for the Canucks going forward. Uh, a durable with one. Thatcher Demko yep. right now. Yeah, we always talk about... Look, it's a salary cap league. Where can you win outside of the salary cap, right? Outside of the limits that you're allowed to spend on your actual players. Having a coach like Ian Clark is, as you said, a durable, sustainable advantage for the Vancouver Canucks as long as they are able to retain his services in the organization. Well, and, and they now have him for many years. Yeah. So. And that's the... We're, I want to talk a little bit more about the Sharks game, but just while we're on this topic, you know, that's what that's going to be a big task for Jim Rutherford is finding more areas like that where you can build those off ice advantages that translate into on ice results for you because there's no limit on how you how much you can spend on those. You're free. Like there's so much more flexibility and ability to get creative in those areas and really flex your muscle. That's something the Canucks didn't do a lot of, with the exception of Ian Clark under the Jim Benning regime, and I think that's going to be a huge test. For Jim Rutherford now going forward. Yeah, and one the the big one in Pittsburgh obviously is the Mark Donk advantage, right? The ability yeah. to just develop players at, at just an a dizzying rate in terms of you know anonymous guys that seem to be able to come into the lineup and and play really well. And I, I think that's taken a lot of investment at at the Wilkes Bear level, right? For for the Penguins, um, you know, I'm curious to see because the Canucks now have this AHL team close at hand. Like, I'm curious to see what shape player development ends up taking under Rutherford's guidance, you know, working presumably with and through uh, Ryan Johnson. Um, you know, I'm, I'm going to be very interested to see exactly what that what shape that takes and what personnel are brought in and how exactly that's prioritized by the club. Yeah, and uh, of course, the Canucks, we mentioned it on the show yesterday. They made it official later in the day. The Canucks have hired Derek Clancy, who worked with Jim Rutherford in Pittsburgh, was most recently working for the Calgary Flames as a pro scout. The Canucks have officially hired Derek Clancy as assistant general manager. We can touch on that a little bit more later in the show. But again, just back to the game against San Jose tonight. And if you're just joining us, the Canucks have called up Guillaume Brisebois from Abbotsford to, again, They before that move, they only had five healthy defensemen available for tonight. So Brisebois will be the six. You expect him to dress as the six defenseman tonight against you, you, uh, you San bod, Jose. You yeah. bod that Brisebois. <laughs> you 100% right. bod it. That's right. I'll just pretend that it was an homage <laughs> and not me screwing up and mispronouncing a name. Uh, but again, the Canucks will be on the ice in San Jose in about 10 minutes' time. So any news and notes we get for you, we will pass it along. And look, we've talked about the goaltending and how incredible 
incredibly unpredictable goaltending is, as exemplified by James Reimer this year. We talked about the special teams. And again, you just kind of build out, okay, how are the Canucks going to sustain the kind of winning percentage they need to make this playoff chase legitimate, to make it feel real? And special teams and goaltending, huge, huge factors. And the other thing, which, again, we saw in spades in their most recent win against Columbus was the star players playing like star players, making star player plays. You look at the San Jose roster, and it's a very top-heavy roster still, right? It's the the mainstays like Couture, Hurdle, Meyer, Carlson. Eric Carlson's having a really good year. Brent Burns. They have talent at the top end, and the roster drops off pretty quickly after that. My question again for tonight is, can the Canucks high-end players, can their star players outperform can they beat the Sharks top players and you know you go down the list I mean I like Quinn Hughes more than anyone San Jose's running out on the blue line this year right like I think the Canucks top guys should be able to win this matchup and not just tonight against San Jose but for the rest of the season that's going to be one of the keys for the Canucks is they need to get these elite level performances that we started to see those need to be consistent right it can't be oh a five game burst here and then they're back to not really moving the needle they got to move the needle pretty much night in night out for this team to have a shot uh, 100% and you know Timo Meyer like Timo Meyer and Thomas Hurdle the one really difficult thing that they will pose as a matchup for the Canucks tonight is they are big. They are large gentlemen who who play physically. And, you know, that's going to, I think, be a stressor for a blue line that is undermanned and that is undermanned in particular on the size and sort of defensive stay-at-home side of the ledger, right? Uh, That, you know, Quinn Hughes is going to have to be really disciplined when he's out against that line about getting in on their hands and about avoiding spending time in, in his zone. Uh, Myers is going to have to be really steady. He's going to have to stick with the do 50% less thing that seems to be working for him right now. You know, Ekman Larson's going to be counted on a ton coming off of an injury and, and presumably still playing through playing it. Playing big minutes. Yeah. Well, I'm playing through it, right? So, you know, that is that is where the big difference emerges between Vancouver's skill and between San Jose's skill. San Jose's skill is heavier at the top end, and that's going to be, a, I think, a, something to watch for. How can the Canucks cope with that, especially considering that they have a shorthanded sort of group? One, one other thing I want to talk about with this game, really quick. Other than L.A., right, Vancouver's five-game win streak has come against the East and the Jets, who should be in the East. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, tonight matters, and, and they play San Jose again really quickly before Christmas. You've yep. got these two games against San Jose – a team that is three points ahead of you and has a game in hand. And if we're going to get to a point where we start taking a Canucks playoff chase seriously, certainly if we're going to get to a point where it should sway uh, Jim Rutherford in terms of how he plans to approach, you know, what what he's going to do between now and the deadline at March 21st, right? If we're going to get to that point where it's like more than a 1-20, in 20, but yeah. it's a 1-3 in three or but a 1-5. in five. What you want to say is if we're going to have meaningful games in March. If we're going to have meaningful games in January, right? Yeah. You got to have four points here. You got to have four. I mean, maybe, maybe, maybe San Jose gets one, but you got to have you got to have three or four points here for sure. You need points from both these games. 
So this is a really big one. Like this is a really, it's not a swing game because we're not even there yet. It's like if you're going to get to the point where the game on the 21st might be a swing game, you need two tonight. And you just look at, not not even looking ahead to the teams that are in the wildcard spots right now, but just look at the four teams that sit between the Canucks and the wildcard, right? And that's Dallas, LA, San Jose, and Winnipeg. So again, just to give you some idea of the you know the task at hand they have to leapfrog over all of those teams at some point if they want to make the playoffs but if i was to choose one team from those four again dallas la san jose winnipeg that i like the canucks chances of getting past it would probably be san jose right just looking at what they've done since yep. their 4-0 start their goal differential their underlying profile all of that i say okay yeah if, if you if i had to choose the canucks to leapfrog one of those teams it would probably be the sharks But to your point, if you're not able to capitalize against the Sharks and you struggle to leapfrog them, well, then you're really behind the eight ball trying to get past all of those other teams. So, you know, it's easy to say, oh, they're still so far out of the playoffs. It's not actually a big game. But to your point, these are the games against the type of opponents that are ahead of you in the standings, but still very, very catchable. You have to capitalize on these opportunities. Yeah, yeah, this is this is. Very important. High leverage. High leverage for those holding out hope of, of a Canucks miracle run. Yeah. You know, they've they've done incredible work. Like, they've literally five times their chances of making the playoffs just over the course of, you know, the Bruce Boudreau era, which is 10 days old. And, you know, if you're going to keep it going, if you're going to keep it going, like the game against San Jose, these two games in San Jose before Christmas like almost matter more than the game against Toronto, for example, on Saturday. Although good luck telling that to any Canucks fan. Right. Although, I mean, look, I want to get into how the next stretch of the schedule sets up the next 11 games, which will take them right to the halfway mark of the season. Just as a spoiler, if you're going to choose a game to lose in that stretch, it would be against the out-of-conference opponent, the Toronto yep. Maple Leafs. Not what fans want to hear, but yes, one of the lowest leverage games on the schedule coming up for the Canucks. We'll talk about that. We will continue to break down the matchup against San Jose. Plus, we'll talk a little bit about how the Canucks' COVID news developed yesterday over the course of the day and you know how it came to be that they are, in fact, scheduled to play this game against San Jose. 650-650. Keep your texts coming in. We will dive into the text line as well, brought to you by Dunbar Lumber. That's coming up next. It's the Canucks Hour, Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to the show. It's the Canucks Hour on your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. On a Canucks game day as they're getting ready in San Jose to play the Sharks. 7.30 start tonight. Of course, you'll hear all of the coverage here on Sportsnet 650. Pre-game show with the guys on the People Show, Sat Dan and Randeep. Uh, and myself and Bick Nazar doing the intermission and post-game coverage for you tonight. So make sure to listen in. Batch and Hershey, of course, will have the call. Canucks Hour brought to you by Avenue Machinery. Being a champion takes foresight. Build your company to win for years to come. With fuel-efficient and reliable Kubota skid steers, excavators, and loaders from Avenue Machinery, visit avenuemachinery.ca. And uh, as we mentioned off the top of the show, Guillaume Brisebois has been called up to join the team as the Canucks deal with having a handful of defenders either unavailable because of injury or because of COVID-19 protocols. So Guillaume Brisebois recalled from Abbotsford. And a lot of Brisebois love coming in in the 650-650 Dunbar Lumber text line. Uh, Torgy and Langley says, I have a Brisebois uh, hockey card that's numbered 
out of 12, you think it's going up in value. LOL. That's from Torky <laughs> and Langley. I'm just, I have no, I didn't, I didn't even know you could acquire a Guillaume Brisebois hockey card, but shouts to you, uh, Torgy. It's lacking in and value. Langley. Yes. Uh, well, and there you go. Pablo in Montreal text in. The Eddie Lack trade continues to pay dividends for the Vancouver Canucks. Although, you know what? In retrospect, even though, even though Brisebois, you know, only amounted to organizational depth, that was, that was a decent trade. Organizational depth that counts counts for something uh, at the end of the day, and, right? And, and monetization counts. Yep. Like you know, you turn a call, you turn a call, uh, sorry, a European free agent into a, you know, a uh, hundred games for you or something like that, sixty games for you plus, you know, some good AHL minutes and then a third round pick. I mean, you know, that's still good. That's yep. that's fine. That's that's what you need to do. Can't argue with that too much. Now we were talking about. The stakes, and I, I kind of put the air quotes in that because we're all we're trying to be realistic while at the same time, you know, okay, trying to peer into the future and say, if the Canucks do get back in the race, what would it look like? As you said, probably starts with taking four points over these next couple of games they Need have to. with San Jose. And the the, re, the this next there's stretch no margin of schedule, for error, no, right? There's no like, margin. There's no margin. This next stretch of schedule is really interesting. And Ramsey and Langley text in, seven out of our next nine games are divisional rivals. If we get a decent run going, we've got a chance. He also points out they have Arizona in there as well. And I would even look just a little bit farther than that. Okay, so they've played 30 games so far this season. The next 11 games takes them to Ottawa on January 8th. They host Ottawa on January 8th. That'll be game 41, the exact midway point of the season. I'm knocking on wood because we all know COVID could change those plans. But as scheduled right now, January 8th, they'll play their 41st game of the season at home against Ottawa. That also happens to be the end of the relatively comfy portion of the schedule because right after that game against Ottawa, they go out on the brutal, brutal road trip. Florida, Tampa, Carolina, Washington. About as hard a gauntlet as you can have on the road in the NHL. So it's kind of a, not only because it's the halfway point of the season, but also because it's right before that brutal road trip. It's kind of a good place, or it's going to be a good place to take stock. So they've got those 11 games, obviously 22 points available. Right now they're sitting on 28 points. So you kind of think, okay, where do they need to be at the halfway point of the season for it to feel legitimate? How many of these next 22 points do they need to take so you can sit there and look and say, you know what? I think they've actually got a chance to do something in the second half. And for me, I sit here and say, okay, 16 out of 22, that would put them at 44 points through 41 games. Still not on pace to make the playoffs. You still need to have a really strong second half. And the schedule is going to get a lot tougher for you, as I just said, when you're going on that road trip. But if you can at least get to 44 through the first half of the season, considering where you were not that long ago, I think you can credibly look at things and look at the rest of the season and say, you know what? We've put ourselves at least in the conversation, but that's a tall order. 16 out of 22 points for this team. That's, that's saying something. That's not nothing. No, that's eight wins. I mean, yeah. but you know, we're looking at San Jose twice. We're looking at Seattle twice, right? Anaheim twice, Arizona and Anaheim without John Gibson, Arizona, uh, you're looking at the Islanders who've struggled. You're looking at the Kings, Ottawa. right? And yep. uh, and Ottawa, and then Toronto also, which is you know a, a less enticing opportunity. So yeah, I mean that's yeah eight wins from those games, and then and then we're starting to then we're starting to talk, right? Yep. Like then we're starting to talk. But the way to look at it too, and and I want to sort of not to doctor doom it, not to live up to no my, do my it. Recent you know reputation. you want to doctor doom it. Well, no, it's just you know we're we're looking at. I'm I'm hearing a lot of like four points out. 
right? But it's yeah, it's four points out against an Oilers team that has three games in hand. And so the way to look at it is to extrapolate in this manner, right? Edmonton's got like a 5-9 point percentage to this point in the season, and that's pricing in their six-game losing streak, but it's also pricing in how ridiculous they look to begin the year, right? And and you got to take that all. Like, you got to look at the full picture. That's their point percentage. You add that to the points that they have, and it's more like a 7.5-point deficit to the Oilers. Now, if you extrapolate that over the course of an 82-game season, like the pace that the Canucks are on, right, through 30 games, the Canucks have, are 7.5 points back of the Oilers. You price that out as a rate over the full season. It's something more like 18 points over 82. You know, it, it, it is a large gap that they still have to make up. It is not four points. It is, it is you know, m- much larger than that with a ton of different teams at the pool and, and no margin for error because you've put yourself that far, like four points out. Four points out or seven and a half points out when you price in point percentage out after 30 games, it's a massive, massive distance. Like when because again, once you extrapolate it, it becomes closer to, you know, the high teens in points out over 82. So you have to you they've arrested their early season fall. They're playing more exciting hockey. They've under Boudreaux addressed some of their more fundamental issues. The PK is no longer bleeding. And they're generating meaningful scoring chances five on five. They're still getting elite goaltending. There's an awful lot to like there in terms of Vancouver's profile to perform to at least their true talent level, at least, and maybe exceed it a bit if Demko can stay Demko, can stay he can stay hot. But the work to be done, it is not like this is not straightforward. No. Eight eight of eleven, I think you're right. That's bare minimum to even just stay in the race for the second 11 that comes after it, which is, you know, an absolute really gauntlet difficult. against some of the best teams. And you hockey. look at it, even let's say they do get those 16 points between now and the halfway mark of the season, right? So you're at 44, you're on pace for 88 points. You still need to play significantly better in the second half, right? You still probably need to play at an 100-point pace in the second half of the season to have a run at the playoffs. That's no easy task, considering how difficult the schedule is going to get. So that puts you... You know, it puts you in a place to make a legitimate run, but the work won't be done. Even if you go eight, eight and three in these next eleven, even if you go nine and two in these next eleven, it's still going to be very difficult. You, you got to give a lot of credit to Bruce Boudreaux that we're even having these conversations. Yep. You know, I mean that that the the vibe around this team is sufficient that this feels like a relatively realistic. This isn't pie in the sky anymore. It is a little bit, but it's like there are paths to get back to contention now, or playoff contention to be yep. clear. Yes. There are paths to that, and that's a that's a testament to how abrupt and decisive this turnaround has been. Now, you mentioned the, okay, we're four points out and how misleading that is. I completely agree. The sticking points for me, in addition to that, to really buying in and believing, are two things. One, that you still have to jump over four teams before you even get to jumping over the last wildcard team in Edmonton, right? So when you just think about that, okay, great, you're four points behind Edmonton. But if Edmonton drops a game to San Jose, well, then San Jose leapfrogs Edmonton, and you're actually no farther behind. Like, great, you've you've made up ground on Edmonton, but you've lost ground on the playoff team that you're chasing. And that that's going to happen over and over again, right? That those five teams that you're chasing are going to take points from each other. It makes it so difficult to jump over all of them in one season. And, and sometimes they're going to take points from each other and also give the yes. losing team yeah, a point. they're going to have three-point games. Yeah. That, that's a killer, we know. The other thing for me is just... I don't see an obvious candidate from the eight playoff teams right now to slide out <laughs> of the picture. And I know, you know, you look at Edmonton and they're in disarray and they've lost six in a row. They still have Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl. I- I'm a little bit wary to predict 
some sort of massive slide for them. Look, were they ever going to be as dominant on the power play throughout the course of a whole season as they were to start the year? Probably not. But again, I'm hesitant to say, you know what? Edmonton's going to slide out of the playoff picture. Beyond that, you know, Nashville's playing some really good hockey right now. All of the teams in the playoffs, they've got a positive goal differential. There's no obvious team where you look at and say, you know what? They're really in trouble. They're paper tigers. I think we can catch them. So it's, again, they've put themselves in a position where there's a path forward. There's a path to get back into the playoff race, but there are still a lot of factors, a lot of factors standing in their way. Johnny Mack texted in, it's pretty rare that they don't leave the Pacific time zone for 17 games. That was from December 3rd to January 9th. Or sorry, that's not Johnny Mack, that's MYC. And that's absolutely right. And so far, they've made the most out of not leaving the time zone for that long. They have to continue to, as Bruce Boudreaux says, uh, make hay while the sun shines. Um, the, the It's so hard to catch opponents. Like, it is so hard to catch opponents even down the stretch. When I was in Florida in the... It was it was Bob Bugner's first season there, so it would have been Travis Green's first season here. So that's four years ago now, right? Seventeen, eighteen, seventeen, eighteen, or sixteen, seventeen, seventeen, eighteen. Yeah, seventeen, eighteen season. The Panthers get crazy hot. Like like the team I was working for, we got crazy hot over the second half. I think we I think we finished something like on a, on a, like a twenty seven seven and three heater or something ridiculous like that, and ended up missing the playoffs on on the last day of the season. Um, by one point, <laughs> like, like it, when you put yourself behind the eight ball, it is so hard to come back. Even if you go in, even if you run white hot for like a stretch of 35, 40 games with like, I've, I've lived it, I've lived it. And, um, unfortunately that was the season that Taylor Hall also got insanely hot and won the MVP. And I think the New Jersey devils who also were really far back, just slightly outpaced like the thing is it's not just going to be the Canucks that get hot if the Canucks get hot right there's other teams that will that there's other hot. there's other teams that can do it yep. and it's just really tough once you're behind the eight ball that's where the Canucks are at there is no margin for error and that's why four points against the Sharks to begin like just to begin this stretch is absolutely key yeah and again People are texting in like, you know, how, how dare you? How dare you only focus on the worst case scenarios? We're not focusing on the worst case, case scenarios. We're laying out realistically what the team has to do to make it to the playoffs. They put themselves behind the eight ball. There, there's no debating that. Everyone in this market knows that. They put themselves behind the eight ball. Now, again, full credit to Bruce Boudreaux and full credit to the team for getting on this five-game streak, for winning seven of eight, for getting to a spot where you you can even plausibly look at it and try to figure out how it's going to happen. To me, we're being positive. The fact that we're even trying to map out how it's going to happen, that's something we wouldn't have had any interest in doing a couple of weeks ago because they would have been even farther down the standings. But at a even certain a point, week ago. Exactly. At a certain point, you got to recognize, yes, it is difficult. I'm not saying it's impossible. No, it's not. It's obviously not impossible. But saying it's a difficult task is not the same as ripping into the team. It's just acknowledging reality. Uh, and more it's going to be difficult. More than a difficult task, it's, it remains highly improbable. And so, and that's even if the team has found a new level under Bruce Boudreaux and start competing at like a 90 point pace over the balance, you're still going to be, you know, a 95 point pace. You're still going to be on the outside looking in. You're probably going to need 93, 94 points to make the playoffs. And the route to get there requires Vancouver to be very, very good for a very, very long time. They will get a chance to continue that, looking to go 6-0 and when they play the San Jose Sharks tonight, 7.30 puck drop. And as we said off the top of the show, Drancer, 
I think you and I were both uh, a little uncertain that this game would even happen, that this game would be scheduled to go on as planned tonight in San Jose. And I, th- I think it would be interesting to just kind of go through exactly how yesterday unfolded from a Canucks COVID-19 perspective, right? Because, you know, we know they delayed their flight until later in the evening, so they would have time to get all their tests coming. Now there were rumblings from multiple people online that there were going to be more positive tests. And, you know, I I heard that. I saw it on Twitter, and I was thinking, oh, man, here we go. Here we go again. There's going to be games postponed. Uh, You know, what does this mean for the players? What does this mean for the rest of the NHL? You you start going down that path, and then the news came out. Hey, actually, no additional players test positive. Assistant coach Jason King is in protocol. He's not traveling with the team. And all of a sudden, it's back on. And it was actually really quite a roller coaster for me because I had already committed, okay, no game tomorrow. Uh, we're going to have to move on in that reality. Yeah, I mean, it was a very odd one to cover. And, and COVID is always a really tricky one to cover from a media side because the team doesn't really disclose things until they disclose things. That's how it works. And, you know, you're dealing with player medical privacy. You're dealing with a whole host of really tricky issues. And so as the day unfolded yesterday, and I worked closely – uh, with Dollywall on any number of stories all, all the time. I mean, we're colleagues at the Athletic, um, you know, and and we're always we're always sort of picking at things. And we had, you know, I had one source pouring cold water on the idea that there were positives, and I had another source telling me a, a fair few positives had had come in uh, in Camp Canucks. And so me and Dolly will start working and we end up with multiple sources saying that there have been multiple positives. And so, you know, for, for Dolly, while he has multiple sources telling him that there's multiple positives, he's like, I'm ready to go. And I'm like, I'm not, I'm not yet because I don't have, I don't have what I need. I'm, I'm not comfortable yet. And I call someone who would know and get told like, Hey, look, I'm not going to tell you you're wrong. But I, if that's true, I, I haven't heard it. Like, I, I that hasn't come to me yet. And so off of that, you know, I decided that I'd be cautious and, and sort of counseled the athletic too, like counseled my own outlet because we're running a COVID live blog that's reacting to all the news. I was like, look, like, I'd, I'd wait on this because I'm not exactly sure where this one falls yet. And and look, I mean, it's it's really tricky. Like, as the media in this market gets pilloried for being unreliable, like, you know, my, my rule is, you know, or you know, or you don't go, <laughs> you know, or you don't go. And I didn't know yesterday there was enough conflicting information that, you know, I sort of I didn't sit it out. I was still working it, but I didn't put anything out. But when reliable people put out news, when reliable people put out like, hey, there's this, um, there's a reason for it. You know, it's not no one's making things up to to get clicks or, or what have you or, or any of the lines that you often see like you're working the story honestly and sometimes the story is complicated and in the case of the Canucks yesterday it comes out that there are no player positives however Jason King assistant coach won't make the trip and the club is not required to disclose positives among staff the way they are with players who actually hit the p- protocol and are publicly listed and so I think that does explain the gap and yeah, I mean, these are these are the ones that are really tricky to cover and really tricky to be, you know, as careful as you need to be. Um, it's you know, my experience from last year too was just like, okay, don't don't. There's no there's no benefit being first here tonight right. today this afternoon. Just wait to see how it plays out. And as it played out, I th- I think it did play out in a way that was confusing and complicated, but thankfully for Canucks players, resulted in no additional positives being added to the protocol. Well, and as 
I mean, confusing and complicated. That's so much of what we've gone through with COVID-19, right? Yeah, so it's totally. no surprising that that's how it would play out in an NHL context 100%. as well. We, we're all so used to it now. Things change. The information, it can be, you know, it can be hard to ascertain exactly what's going on. And, th- and then, as I said, circumstances can change really rapidly. So fortunately, as of right now, the game is scheduled to go on. Fortunately, no other players tested positive for the Canucks from a health standpoint. That's fantastic news as well. Just one th- other thing I wanted to touch on really quickly here, which is that the Canucks officially hired Derek Clancy as their assistant general manager yesterday. We talked a little bit about Clancy and his resume and his likely role within the organization. Uh, Elliot Friedman was on with Jeff Merrick earlier today on the Jeff Merrick show, and he just touched on what could be next as Jim Rutherford looks to flesh out his front office in Vancouver. I think there could be one or two more. Um, we'll see here. Uh, Clancy was the guy he wanted to get in first. And, you know, obviously since it was a promotion, Calgary didn't stand in the way. Uh, we'll see, uh, where he goes here. I know there's a lot of talk about Patrick Aldean from Pittsburgh and just a question of, you know, A, does Pittsburgh let him talk now or does he, you know, let him talk later? Um, I think that's one name that everyone's kind of talking about. And then we'll, like, I think the biggest question is going to be is, Unless he's going for someone, for someone outside the NHL, and we've talked about, for example, Mark Hunter's name, I just don't know if he's going to be able to get a GM right now. Might have to wait. So that's Elliot Friedman earlier today on the Jeff Merrick Show. In light of the Derek Clancy hiring being added to the Canucks front office as an assistant general manager, saying there could be a couple of other moves coming quickly. Patrick Alvine continues to be a name from Pittsburgh, again, with connections to Jim Rutherford from his time with the Penguins. That's out there, but also kind of interesting saying, you know what, the actual GM, that could wait because maybe he won't be able to pry another executive away from an NHL team in season. So we could be looking at Drancer, Jim Rutherford serving as interim general manager for the remainder of the season for the Canucks. Yeah, I don't think that's a huge surprise. And and we'll see exactly how and what shape it, it takes. I mean, you know, I do believe that they're looking for some director level employees in addition to assistant general manager level employees, senior director, director level employees as well. Um, you know, I know Dolly Wall reported that the club's looking into hiring an analytics, uh, a senior analytics director. And, you know, that matches what I'm hearing as well uh, within the within the industry. Um, You know, so that'll be an interesting area. Right. And then you've got Rutherford always had uh, Scott Young, director of player development in Pittsburgh. Is that the type of profile that Ryan Johnson might slide into? Because Ryan Johnson, of course, is the one uh, interim assistant general manager still sort of standing. Um, Does that you know, is he the guy who's going to assume a player development type portfolio, perhaps with a full-time AGM's title? You know, Alvin's an interesting name. That's an amateur side, like an ama- um, amateur scout background. Yep. So uh, that's a that's an amateur evaluator um, who Rutherford obviously trusts and has worked with before. And then you sort of get down to the pro side, which, you know, that's, that's t- typically the area we'd expect Eric Clancy. Who's known as a very hard worker, right? Known a little, known known for being a little bit old school in terms of his approach to player evaluations. A, a guy who Rutherford knows well and, and obviously trusts a ton, and has now empowered. I mean, he's promoted him twice, and now he's empowered him to be an assistant general manager. So he'll handle a player personnel portfolio. But you still need to flesh out the pro side, probably. You probably also still need to flesh out the administrative side, right? The the like 
the hockey operations side, the um, basic cap management yep. and logistics. Uh, analytics I'd expect to hire at some point this season, like that I'd expect to land in season. And then it's just about the shape of the other things. So amateur, pro, and and logistics, hockey operations, logistics are kind of like the three that I'm really interested to see. Um, in the event that Rutherford goes with three assistant general managers, you know, if Clancy's the player personnel guy, if RJ is going to be a player development sort of portfolio, then you've got a GM and an AGM. And you'd be looking at probably one to have an amateur scouting type portfolio and one to have a logistics portfolio. So that's sort of how I'm looking at this from the perspective of what I expect from Rutherford over the balance. And and in the event that he's the interim GM through the season, I don't think that's necessarily an issue. But I do think it's clear that Rutherford's best years in Pittsburgh, by far, by far, were years in which his front office was vibrant dynamic, well-staffed, collaborative. That's a lot of the same words that he mentioned in hiring Clancy. Getting in support relatively quickly, I think, will help this team get the best outcomes. Um, But I do think it might, just because this is the nature of changing in season and the nature of working through, you know, your web of contacts around the industry, it may take a little bit of time for him to build up this front office to where he wants it to be. And that may not happen before the trade deadline or even before the end of the year. Meanwhile, the Canucks are in San Jose. They will try to remain undefeated under Bruce Boudreaux, looking for their sixth straight win this time on the road. Don't forget, you can hear it all here on Sportsnet 650. Puck drop is at 7.30. Pre-game show gets going at 5.30. Bick Nazar and myself will be doing intermission and post-game coverage. And Drancer, you and I will be back on the air 11 a.m. tomorrow to break it all down. That's going to do it for the Canucks Hour. You've got it on your home with the Canucks, Sportsnet 650.